Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. Episode of Call and Caffeinated. We're coming to you from Fairfax Hospital in Fairfax, Virginia. You want to say hello? Want to say hello to the people? We have our sweet Mrs. Honora Marie. Want to say hi? She's very sleepy and exhausted right now because she's. Um, we suspect she has some kind of bowel obstruction. We don't know exactly what's going to happen from here. If it's going to resolve on its own or if it's going to. Um, need another surgery. Um, but we took audience questions for this episode. So we're going to try to get to all of your questions. We have quite a lot to get to. For those who don't know, we have been in the NICU 79 days. This is day 79 when we're recording this. By the time we release it, she might be home already, which would be amazing. Um, and basically, on January 11th, I was 32 weeks pregnant. Um, quick recap, woke up just in the middle of the night in um, a pool of blood. I was having a dream that I was like swimming or something and I was like, what is going on? I woke up and the bed was just covered in blood. We were just, sh I was shocked. At first John was like, let's call an ambulance. But thank goodness we didn't um, because we would have had for, to wait for an ambulance to get here, to get to our house to take us. And so we just said, let's just go. Um, and rushed to the hospital and um, John, you called them on the way, which was good foresight because they had a nurse waiting there with a wheelchair as soon as I got there. And um, she like wheeled me down the hallway and then turned around to put me in the elevator and there was a trail of blood just going down the hallway. I mean, it was, it was like a horror movie. <laughs> it was as dramatic as you can imagine. And then as soon as we got up to the labor and delivery room, the doctor said, the baby has to come out and then they put a, um, a monitor on my stomach and we could hear Nora's heart rate, but it was very, very faint. And then it just like started plummeting. And so the doctor was like, we have to go now. So the doctors start just wheeling me down the hallway and they're like running the whole team. They left John in the labor and delivery room, didn't tell him what to do. And as we're running, the doctor's yelling like, we're upgrading to a level one urgency, which I'm not a medical person, person, but I know what that means. And so we get in there, and within the next 10, 5 minutes, I'm, I'm out. Um, and then Honora was born. So um, sweet little girl, when she was first born, she was having seizures. Um, pretty much every, every organ was a concern. Um, and as time has gone on, we have, um, it's come down to like two major things. One is that her brain has ischemic tissue, which basically means like dead tissue. Um, she was deprived of oxygen. And so that gave her um, a preliminary dosis of cerebral palsy, which is basically a neurological condition that affects the muscles. So um, sometimes people with cerebral palsy will have very tight muscles and sometimes they won't be able to walk as well. And some of their, the tightness in their muscles can actually lead to 
big developmental problems, so their limbs will be misshapen or something. Um, it, every case is very different. So we have that diagnosis, and um, that's kind of like the big, whenever things are going well in, the sh in sort of the short term, like when we're out of crisis mode, then those questions come up, like how are we going to be parents of a child with a disability, and that's a whole thing. Um, but in the more kind of immediate realm, um, the more immediate crisis has been her intestines. So they were also deprived of oxygen. So when she was six days old, she got a bowel perforation, which literally means just a hole in her intestines. And healing that has been really hard. Um, she's had three surgeries. She may need a fourth. She they had to cut her bowel in half, basically, and take out the perforated section because it wasn't healing. Um, and she had something called an ostomy bag, which meant that a piece of her intestine was poking through a hole in her tummy. And she had to have a bag over it to um, collect all the number twos that came out. Hi. And then she had reanastomosis, meaning they put her bowel back together. But now we think we might have a blockage. So can't catch a break. Um, oh my goodness. But she's so cute. Isn't she so cute? You want to say hi to the people? Yeah. How do you support parents with babies in the NICU? Do you want to go for that? Uh, sure. That's a really good question. Um, we have had meal trains set up for us, which has brought meals to my parents' house where we're staying. Um, oh yeah, I guess I forgot to explain that. When Nora was transferred, when she had her bowel perforation, she was transferred to the Fairfax Hospital in Northern Virginia here. So we had to leave our house. So John lives at our house now and works um, four days a week. And then the kids and I, uh, Rafi and Zelly and I, are living with my parents. Other people have sent us gift cards. We have a Panera Bread in the hospital here. So a lot of people have sent us Grubhub gift cards or Panera Bread. That's been really helpful. Some people have just sent us checks, and that's great. That's amazing, too. Texts and calls have been so good, and um, I really appreciate all my friends understanding that I'm not taking a short time to call them back. <laughs> Take a very long time to call them back, and sometimes I don't return texts because I just don't have any emotional bandwidth. But everything is welcome and received, and so I'm so grateful for all of the support. Um, and then also um, prayers, big one. It's it's great to like reach out to somebody and say like, what can I do for you? That's wonderful. But even if you lead by saying like, I have this thing for you if you want it, that makes it even easier for them to say like, okay, we have this yeah this house available or this meal train available or whatever, um, rather than them having to like sit down and think, what can this person actually do for me? You know? Yeah, and there was a, a sweet friend of mine, Allison, who I just love her. And she reached out to another mutual friend that we have who had a baby in the NICU and at one point, and she said, okay, what did you need when you were in the NICU? She didn't ask me, what do you need? She just asked this other mom, because I was at the point where I was like, I, I don't know what I need. Like, I just, I mean, I guess I need to eat sometimes. She sent me a whole list of things, and she's like, tell me if you need these things, and I will get them for you. And it was like water bottle, um, cell phone chargers, meal train, place to stay, pillows, uh, blankets, like just like really practical stuff. I've noticed that a lot of people aren't quite sure how to talk to me about this experience. The, the right things to say is, I love you, how are you? You can share whatever you want with me and I'm just here for you to listen. That's a great 
way to start out. And then if they don't want to talk about it, they can say, you know, I don't feel like talking about it. I don't feel like telling the story again. And when they finish talking, don't feel like you need to say the right thing. Like, don't feel like you need to say anything necessarily other than, I'm sorry, that sounds like it's really hard. And I really admire the way that you're dealing with it. Um, I know for myself, <laughs> when people were going through hard things, when I would talk to the elderly in nursing homes, um, I didn't know how to fix their problems, and I couldn't. You can't fix somebody else's deep wound, and you don't have to. That's not your job. The, the validation and the healing process comes from just listening. I don't expect anyone to have any medical expertise about anything because I don't. So I can share what I've learned and I'm happy to explain it. And uh, yeah, just having support is the most important thing. So yeah, don't be afraid of just loving people. That's it. Yeah, also a built-in um, um, conversation aid for Christians is that you can always just say, well, you can ask like, what can I pray for you for in particular? Mm -hmm. Which is a great way to get them to bring up struggles if they want to talk about them. Yes. And also just at the end say like, I'm praying for you, I'll pray for this in particular. It, it might seem trite or insignificant to you at the time, but I really appreciate when people say that they pray for us and when they do. We have a lot of friends who pray daily decades for us and stuff as we're going through this. So, yes. Um, it's, it's not true of any Christian that like they can't do anything to help. So. Yes, true. How did y'all support each other? I feel like one of us has usually worn the sanity hat while the other one is having a breakdown. And we kind of trade off. So um, it's kind of, I think there's grace in that. I think that's the, the sacrament, the grace from the sacrament of marriage is, is helping, um, just helping us help each other, basically. I think one of the most helpful things for to get like oneself through it is to focus on somebody else and how you can help them. With the two of us, sometimes you're just feeling so rough that you can't really focus on anyone or anything else, but uh, when when you can, and Stacy's done a great job of this, um, anytime she senses that I'm really struggling a lot, she'll make herself available and offer you know, whatever she can she offer me and uh, listen and sympathize and uh, that's mutually strengthening, I think. Yeah. One thing that I think John and I have done well is really speaking words of love to each other. I used to worry before I got married that the stress of marriage or some situation like the NICU would cause you to just go so crazy that you would just like be screaming at another person all the time or like you would just like destroy your marriage because you were just so stressed out you couldn't control yourself and I have to say that that point has never happened for me um, I really believe that you can always choose to speak lovingly to each other I think this is bringing us together but we also have to be really careful to cultivate that to guard that yeah I think we can do it right on definitely yes. <laughs> I do yeah. How do you manage dealing with the vulnerability of the situation around strangers? Oh. Well, clearly if we're doing a podcast about it, we don't really care. No, I care. I care. It's actually been really awkward for me. Oh. Um, well, because, like, you don't want to go... So, 
I hate seeing Instagram posts where people are just like complaining and it's been really hard for me to be totally honest when I am depressed and struggling and like the NICU life is such a roller coaster. You walk, you never know what you're going to get when you walk in here. And, um, you know, we've gotten calls from the hospital saying she has a collapsed lung and then like your cortisol levels, you know, shoot up, like you're so stressed out. And sometimes you just like, it's really hard to say like, okay, if I'm going to post anything, it's not going to be something positive or like, I guess when you share something um, with a stranger, like it, it's a lot to put on someone. And honestly, I've really struggled. It's only now after two and a half months of being in the NICU that I've felt like I want to do a podcast episode on this. It wasn't, it's not the kind of thing where I was like, you know, as the day after she was born where I was like, oh, great content for my podcast. Like, not even a little bit. It was like, why can't things get back to normal so that I can present myself in a more polished, professional way where I'm going to be happy with how I present myself. And this is just stripped away all of that. Um, so it's it's been anxiety-ridden for me, but um, I, I really appreciate everyone's kind response. Uh, our experience has been a little bit different. Like, Stacy is more of an external processor, I guess and has really enjoyed talking to the nurses and many of them have been really sympathetic and good to talk to. For me, I kind of hate being here because I hate people coming in and asking how we're doing and I would rather just kind of be alone and... Yeah, yeah. just be at our house and uh, not have not to ask a stranger to like yeah. help us with the wires because she's attached to all... I don't know if you can see on camera, we'll do a little tour of her like all her wires and tubes and everything um, but we have to ask somebody f to help us pick up our daughter, which is the weirdest thing, and that's been the case since she was born. So that's super weird. Um, one thing that I've really... So there's a lot... Like I, I never want to feel like I'm complaining, right? Because I was talking a second ago about like the Instagram post where you're complaining and people are turned off and you lose a lot of followers because people are like, oh, I don't, don't want to listen to this. And I get that because I don't like reading those posts. But one thing that I've really committed to with this struggle, because this is a really hard thing, this is the hardest thing I've ever been to, been through, um, because it is such a struggle, I've been thinking about the people who will be in my position someday who are feeling overwhelmed and who need somebody to help them understand how to begin to grapple with this experience. Just the overwhelm in and of itself is enough to just knock you down. So my commitment on my blog, um, I'll link to it in the show notes. I've, I've written a ton on my blog about how this has gone. And my commitment in each of those posts has been to be as honest as possible because the last thing that I want right now is to read somebody's blog and hear from another parent that this was a breeze for them or that they really felt super holy the whole time and just like quoting the Bible, you know? And like, it's, it's getting at the most raw and deep and difficult to process and wounded and traumatic, traumatized parts of myself, this journey is just, and, and you're being yanked around constantly and you never know what's gonna happen next. So my commitment's been to, to be as honest as I possibly can. And every time I publish a blog post, I'm like, oh man, this is so negative. Like my life is like a movie that I would never watch. Um, but the response has been incredible from people and people are writing to me and really pouring their hearts out and people who aren't even going through anything like this are telling me how healing it is to read my blog which is somehow really 
um, gratifying for me um, to know that it's touching people and reminding them of what's most important. So I'm growing in confidence of sharing the really vulnerable, difficult parts of this experience, but I really wish that <laughs> I really wish that I didn't that I didn't have to, and I don't have to. But it, but if if I'm going to be a minister, like it, it's I'm not going to be doing things that feel good for me or like make me feel good about myself all the time if that makes sense like to truly minister to people means to give them what they need and um and i think that involves like a lot more vulnerability than i would like to imagine that it does um and so something something about being really raw and real and honest feels right right now yeah yeah will this experience prevent you from having more children we should talk about that at some point <laughs> It shouldn't. I mean, not not from like a practical standpoint. Um, I didn't have to have a hysterectomy or anything when I had my C-section. So, um, as far as just like discerning how many children we're called to have, that's kind of the beautiful thing about natural family planning is you discern anew uh, every month and you yeah. just decide are we in a place where we could welcome another child. Yeah. Um, it's going to be quite a learning curve bringing Nora home and learning to care for her with um, the therapies that she's going to need, who knows if she'll need more surgeries, all kinds of doctor's appointments. So it's, you know, it's going to take a while, but I think we'll see. Something that I would encourage parents who go through a situation like this, or any kind of crisis to do, is to not put any pressure on yourself to, uh, to be like ready immediately to have, to have more kids or to even think about it. You just need time to heal and not worry about it for a little while, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I can't even imagine having another child right now. I can't even imagine. Um, let's take a quick little break here. We want to invite you on pilgrimage with us to the Holy Land. It feels really weird to be talking about this while we're... All three of us. And lots more people, too. feels weird to be talking about this while I'm literally wearing a hospital gown and we're in the hospital. <laughs> inviting you on pilgrimage but whatever this is how it's going uh we've had this on the calendar since last november and we're so excited it's going to be january 17th through the 25th of 2022 well i'm excited for in particular um saying mass afloat on the sea of galilee that's going to be really amazing also did you know that you can bring home olive oil from the mount of olives no i did not that's really exciting and <laughs> We're going to be staying at incredible hotels. We're going to be eating really good food. John and I love eating, having culinary adventures. And I think this is going to be the best Mediterranean food in the world. And we're super excited about that. Little baby girl here, she's going to be strapped into a little baby carrier. And she's just going to be coming with us, this little celebrity baby. So um, you are invited. You can go to stacysummerocom slash pilgrimage to find out more. I would encourage you not to wait just because we don't want the spots to fill up and without you being on board and uh, want to make sure that you get yourself signed up, have plenty of time to save and work out everything logistically. So don't wait. Um, it's been calling to us to go to the Holy Land for quite a while. And if that's you as well, we would love to have you along and meet with you in person. How do you reconcile the barrage of negative human emotions, jealousy, hopelessness, etc., with being a faithful Christian? That's a great question. So how do you reconcile the barrage of negative emotions with being a faithful Christian? Okay, so we're in Holy Week when we're recording this, and I was thinking yesterday, 
about Jesus's last words because we just read them on Palm Sunday as part of the Passion. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus felt all the hopelessness and sadness and, I don't know about jealousy, but he felt all of the negative emotions um, and he was the most faithful Christian, um, you know, and this is why, I think this is why our faith exists. It's not to make people who feel good already feel better. It's to speak into those places of um, our own hopelessness and sadness and sanctify them. And um, what was the video we were watching the other day? I'll link to it in the show notes. I think it was Father James Brent. Mm-hmm. He's a Dominican. And he was saying the words offer it up have so much more power than what we imagine. Um, and the the world will be saved through sacrifice. So there have been so many times where um, I have felt I have felt depressed, hopeless, just um, like the Blessed Mother watching her son walk to his crucifixion. Like that's my experience. Job, when he had lost everything, um, he said, "The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." Um, and I'm feel in that place many days um i do feel at the end of my rope many many days and i have nothing less left and i know that this is exactly the moment this is like the make or break moment for me so far in my life is um you give up or you just decide you're not leaving and i'm not leaving um god has spoken to me he's shown himself to me i know he's real and, and I know that he doesn't exist to serve me. I exist to serve him. And so whatever he's doing, it is so hard to trust in his plan right now because, you know, why would God let this, this beautiful innocent baby suffer um, so much? I don't know. I don't know. But this is where faith becomes real, where you either trust God or you don't. And... Um, and I'm just doing my best to trust him. And yeah, I feel all of the emotions you could imagine. Anger, um, sadness, um, just a sense of like, so so little is in my control right now, you know? Even the small things like just, I'm living, I have only been to my house three days in the last three months um, for less than 24 hours each time, I think. And uh, I just, I've reached beyond my natural strength so many times. Um, and so, yeah, just deciding, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to trust you. It's an act of the will. It's not at all fed or led by emotion. It's purely an act of the will. But I think that that is so precious to God because he, um, you know, it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And I, I do feel that he's close to us even though I think he's, you know, I, I don't experience his voice. Like, it's, it's sort of like I'm too stressed to calm down enough to hear his voice. And if I do calm down, then I fall asleep because I'm so exhausted. So I know that he is still there and working with, working through me and with me. And I do feel the effects of the grace that I'm being given. Um, but it's sort of like walking in the dark. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember... On one of Fulton Sheen's episodes, he was talking about the image of like a, a boat on a river, 
versus a plank of wood on a river or something like that. And so the, the river is your emotions, and so you can choose either to kind of go along with them, let yourself be dragged, like, ascent to them, I guess, or like, um, yeah, surrender to them. Or you can, um, you know, you have, you've been built with a motor, and you can decide which way you want to go if you want to fight against it, or kind of go sideways, or like, go along with it sometimes, you know. But I think, yeah, Stacy's right, the key is like to, to be in it as like the psalmist is in all his emotions and mm. glorify God in each emotion that you're in. Because mm -hmm. uh, that's like a super rich, uh, rich prayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The same video I referenced earlier from Father David, is that what David? I don't remember his name. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's only seven minutes long. You James, should watch it. James Brent, so. Oh, is it James? Okay. Yeah, James Brent. Father James Brent. He said that the the hospital bed is an altar, and Jesus lifts you up to God, basically, that your suffering is part of God's plan to save the world. Mm. And that really helps me a lot. Um, also, I'm reading Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. I'm going to link to that in, show, in the show notes as well. Super challenging book. And in there it said that you will be given grace in accordance with the measure that, you've been, that you have expected it. So if you expect much, you will receive much. If you expect little, you will receive little. And um, I've trying, been trying to expand my horizons beyond just asking for an outcome, but also to ask that God change my heart and help me understand what's really best for Honora. Um, you know, what's really the most important thing for her. John pointed out to me rightly, and this was helpful, he said, you know, she's, as far as salvation goes, like, she's set. She's good. If she, if something goes wrong in the operating room and we lose her, um, she's going to be in heaven rejoicing with the angels. And as soon as he said that, I realized that so much of my struggle is me projecting onto her future what I worry about for her life according to what I think a good life is. And um, and so many of the things, even as her mother who loves her so much, so many of the things that she needs are probably not the most, they're probably not the most important things. They're just things that I think are the most important things. And it's very humbling and very difficult to remind yourself that I don't, always know what she needs, um, but that God is holding her tenderly and loves her more than I do and is going to take care of those. And that's, um, at the end of the day, it comes down to that. Like, do I trust God to take care of her needs better than I can? Or do I think that I know everything that she needs? And it's made much, much more difficult by the fact that I can't even provide for her basic needs myself. Um, you know, I can't, I can't pick her up. She can't go more than three feet from her hospital bed because she's tethered to all these things. I can't just take her outside and hold her in the sunshine, and I can't um, show her flowers. And s I can sing her songs, which is really good. But, um, yeah, my milk supply dried up, and so I'm not even able to feed her. Um, plus, she can't nurse. So that's kind of been a death for me is accepting that we're not going to have a breastfeeding relationship like I wanted. So there's so many things that I, I, I feel like are so out of my control and the only way that it's made okay is with the belief that there's someone taking better care of her than I could. 
come. Yeah. Which is, I don't think it gets more intense than that. Like, I don't, I don't think it gets more challenging than that. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Where have you seen Jesus during your stay? Um, so I, I shared with Stacy, uh, we actually kind of just opened to it at random in one of Jose Maria Escriva's books. I think it was The Furrow. Um, just a, a quote that was like, Christ, I don't remember exactly what it was. There was something about Christ being like especially present in the sick and in children. Like that's where we can love him most directly, I guess, outside of the, the sacraments and stuff. Um, and so we got them both right here. A sick and, child. And yeah. she's also like spotless. She is baptized and confirmed and she's so easy to love and mm -hmm. uh, and she suffers as Christ does. Like she she's pierced with so many things and um, she feels abandoned when we leave her and it's like all so many of the things that Christ endured, like we yeah, as Stacy was saying it's like a glimpse into the Blessed Mother's uh, own martyrdom, like to see someone you love so so deeply uh, go through something like that. Yeah, yeah. She's. Um, it's so easy to just fall in love with her, and she just looks at you and gazes into your eyes, and she just has the whole world in her eyes. And oh man. Also, I think when when you reach like the limit of your own ability to control your life, um, like the the next thing, the thing in front of you is is God, it's Christ, like you're faced with your own limitation really and like your own need. Like when I was waiting in the labor and delivery room while Stacy and uh, Nora were figuring out if they were going to survive or not, um, it was really excellent prayer because like my prayer was just one of total helplessness and um, yeah, I didn't have any support around me to be able to say like, God, this is what should happen because I did this or because like we made this plan and we like we're in control of the situation. This should happen. It's like you're you're faced with your own limit, which we so often choose to mm -hmm. ignore. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. When you're pushed past your limits, it is amazing. This is kind of unrelated, but kind of related. It is amazing how far you can go that you never thought you could. And I honestly. I've not at any point in this whole experience felt strong or capable or, you know, in my wheelhouse in any way. I felt totally out of my league and confused and not even sure how to interpret medical reports and overwhelmed about how to care for a special needs child and so many overwhelming things. But it's amazing. You start, you do what you have to do because you love. Let's take a little break here if you don't mind. Oh, sure. Let's talk about one of my favorite recommendations for young people who are single, who would like to find their vocation, which is Catholic Match. <laughs> They're the sponsors for this episode, and um, sometimes on Catholic Match, you end up with beautiful babies like this one <laughs> down the road. <laughs> so John and I met on Catholic Match, and do you want to tell the people what you like about it? Sure. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful place to just, like, uh, to get in touch with other, you know, sons and daughters of Christ, of God, and uh, yeah, just like a what a um, 
what a privileged thing that we can kind of reach out. What are you waiting for? <laughs> NICU nurses don't really have too much opportunity to meet single guys who are more than 40 weeks gestational age, so <laughs> Catholic Mass is the answer to their problem and yours. <laughs> oh, no, actually, that's a really good point you bring up. Not about the NICU nurses necessarily, but just about the, um, uh, the hardship of meeting someone because when you went on Catholic Match John was living with his grandma he was taking full-time care of her because she had had a physical collapse after her husband died he was taking full-time care of her his spiritual director recommended that he start dating but there's not many people his age at the church he was attending at the time because I've been there with you and there's not that many single young ladies there and finding someone in the community was really hard and so and he didn't know that many people in the community um, plus, he was kind of bound to his his grandma's home, but we were able to meet through just the interwebs, which was such a blessing, and it was like such a quick connection. Um, yeah, we got engaged five months after we met. It was just like, yep, this is this is the one. Um, so you've probably heard our testimony before if you're a regular listener. But you know, with that was before the global pandemic, you know, and I, I just don't even know how hard it would be now to meet someone probably really really hard so I really encourage you to check it out there's gonna be a link in the show notes to go to catholicmatch.com slash called and caffeinated and you can start a free profile which is great because like who wants to start a profile when you have to put money down right away right not me not me so you can just get started for free you can just explore see who's around and I love that because you don't have to commit to anything right away so that's that cool hop on it how have your prior life experiences and Christ prepared you for this. Honestly, nothing has prepared me for this. Nothing at all whatsoever. This is like all of my worst fears coming true over and over again, this whole experience. So nothing prepares you for it, but then once you're in it, if you've grounded yourself in scripture in the past, and if you have really um, not just based your faith life on feelings or experiences, but rather on the word of God and his promises, those have really come to mind in moments where I'm maybe driving in the car and I'm feeling angry or numb or totally overwhelmed and I will remember, you know, I, I will never leave you or um, uh, take courage for I have overcome the world. Something will come to my mind, some words of Jesus or some passage of scripture in which some person was going through something like I'm going through, feeling uh bereft or abandoned and how God has come to them and spoken to them and so that's kind of the main way that I hear God speak to me right now is these these passages of scripture that I have read in the past so yeah that's kind of a kind of the one thing I think I would say also both of us have discerned or both of us discerned religious life and I think that's a great preparation for any eventuality because like we've already face the question of like surrendering everything. So when things suck, sorry Norma, when things stink, um, I think like, well, like I, I don't, you know, I haven't earned any of this. Like I still have Stacy, a beautiful wife and uh, two healthy kids and a third, not quite healthy, but a really beautiful kid. It's like so many blessings and yeah, I guess just, um, being able to kind of always go back and say, like, all of this is a gift 
how did the doctors talk to you about Nora's surgery plans and her future? The doctors and nurses are very pro-life. Um, they all talk to and about Nora with respect and the nurses are some of the most compassionate people I've ever met. I love that many of them are people of faith and I think you kind of have to be. You have to recognize the dignity of small people, some of whom are have disabilities and really look at them and love them in order to love this job. They can save 22 week old babies here. Like 22 week old babies. I know two moms who had 22 week old babies who are both doing well. Like they're going to survive. <laughs> you know, they're past the critical point. So the fact that science and medicine can do that is amazing. And I think all the doctors and nurses really approach medicine with a really healthy perspective on the value and dignity of human life. So that's been really neat. A couple of the nurses here are Catholic and we love them and we really appreciate talking with them about our faith and how it's, like it's nice to talk to them because I know they get it. Um, two in particular, two Catholic nurses in particular. So I'm always so grateful when they are Nora's nurse. How has it been for Zelly and Rafi? I wish that they could be here to answer themselves, but uh, they've been really good, actually. We're, again, super blessed with help from our family and friends, and um, it's like the, the second best thing. If they can't be with us when we're here at the hospital, they're with either her parents or mine. And uh, Sally definitely, yeah, Sally has had some behavior regression for sure. She's just about to turn three, or she just turned three rather, and so she was having her two-year-old moment, and I think a lot of it came down to an understandable feeling that she's not in control of mommy walking out the door every day to the hospital, and it's like so hard to be left behind, and I have felt so much guilt about that. Those were really hard days when I had a hard day at the hospital, had no emotional energy left, and then came back to my parents' house and had a very screaming two-year-old our three children have never been in the same room together before ever and it's about an hour to and from the hospital each way so that's just a lot of time that we have to be gone from them and they're so, remarkably patient and waiting yeah. for their sister uh, they for a long time have been coloring pages and ripping them out to, for us to give to her every day you yeah. might see some of them on the walls but Rafi the other day sweet boy he said I've been waiting and 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 waiting all day and all night for Nora to come home and it is hard, you know, as a parent, you want to be able to set up expectations and then fulfill them for your child. So um, we've talked about, I think we were driving in the car one day and I was like, John, I just feel like the kids are getting the short end of the stick. And John was like, I think everybody's getting the short end of the stick. And that's honestly true. So there's like a very, I think there's a natural level of guilt that happens. Um, but the thing that's given me the most peace is that Father Stefan, who's the chaplain here, I was telling him about how I felt so bad that my daughter was crying that I was going to the hospital. And um, and he kind of came back later and he was like, there are going to be no negative effects for your children. And he said, the reason is because you didn't choose this, God chose this for you. What do you wish the NICU staff knew to better help families? We've, we've had a really pretty positive experience with all of the the NICU staff here. Um, the nurses have been fantastic. Ranging from fantastic to very good, I'd say. Um, and 
shoot, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I can't tell you. <laughs> your job, you're doing great. Keep up the good work. Yeah, there's the nurses are amazing. Um, we've had a, a range with the doctors. Some of them are, some of them are really excellent. There was one doctor when when we came, and he was um, he was our favorite, and he just said right away, he's like, I'm, you know, we got the cerebral palsy diagnosis, and he was talking to us about it, and he was very positive, and he's like, you're a dancer, right? And I said yes, and he said. Well, you know, you can really help improve Nora's outlook by um, stretching with her and by um, massaging, and you know that's really going to be helpful for her. You can kind of be her therapist, and that was—I um, think the word empowerment is overused, but it really was empowering to know that there's going to be a lot that I can do. And he also said, you know, I'm never going to tell a parent that their child isn't going to do something because I've just seen too many miracles happen. Um, and then. On the other end of the spectrum, we have had a few doctors who are very clinical, maybe don't intuitively um, like understand how to handle questions. Um, maybe like my my one of my worst experiences was a doctor who came in and we had um, a chart of Nora's um, head growth, which has been concerning. It's at first she was above 50th percentile for her head, and it dropped. And now it's like in the third or sixth percentile, somewhere around there. So he kind of came in, and he wasn't—he wasn't a neonatologist. He was like uh, in surgery, and he just kind of—this wasn't his area that he was supposed to comment on at all. He just comes in and casually looks at this chart that was lying there, and he goes, "Oh yeah, yep, those are definitely not the numbers we want to see." And then he puts the chart down and starts just talking about whatever his spiel was, and I don't think I heard a single word that he said because I was like ha just blinded by like anger. I was like, how do you say that to a parent? If you're thinking with the mind of a parent at all, how would you say that to them? Yes. Well, I love you. Good job, John. So thank you for joining us today. I hope that you'll subscribe and click the bell so you'll get notifications of when new episodes go up on my channel. And I'm really happy to have you join us today. Please shoot me your questions and leave a comment below if you have more questions. We can do another episode like this. All right, God bless.